Hello, everybody, and this is the Rambling Runner podcast, and I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is our regular Coach's Corner segment with my good friend and coach, James McCurdy. James, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. It's a, uh, a beautiful rainy day here in Flagstaff, so I'm happy to be on the call and uh, watch the clouds roll in as I do it. There you go. See, today was one of those perfect fall running days Yeah, I heard here about in New it. England. I heard I was tracking a lot of folks. I had a few athletes running the, uh, the Hogsback Half Marathon in, um, I want to say, Colebrook, Connecticut. Uh, I think that's the town it's located. Um, and I remember running that back in, uh, in 2013, and it was a picture-perfect morning. And today was, uh, again, one of those absolutely gorgeous days, and it took me back to my memories from like five years ago. Nice. Colebrook. I haven't heard of that. I know of Colchester. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the Colebrook Dam. It's this crazy half marathon that starts at the top of a dam or near it. And it's really kind of like this rolling downhill, but there's a lot of uphill inside of it as well. And you're running along. All of a sudden, you think you're you're on flat ground and you're going to finish well. And then at the very end, it's like a, a, a half mile to three quarter mile climb. And I don't know how many feet it climbs up, but I do know that... I was reduced to a, a humble jog walk once oh. I finished it. I ended up winning the race by, I don't know, six or seven minutes or something. But it didn't matter. Like, my legs were toast. They were broken after the end. I had no idea how steep this thing was. Oh, it wow. was humbling. Yeah, it was funny. What an experience. So you have, like, the highs of winning the race and then, like, kind of like the lows of, like, oh, my goodness. Like, I almost oh, had to walk there. Yeah, it was <laughs> – I had one of those like drunken stumble moments at the very top of the hill. And, and then once you get to the top of the hill, you still have a quarter mile to go. So like they really nail you with this thing. It's fun. Wow. That is yeah. great. Yeah. That's great. Well, hey, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. So we're going to kind of break this down into two parts. We're going to yeah. do the first part is like my normal call with you that we do once every month or six weeks or so. Uh, we talk and communicate plenty besides that. We kind of like have like a recap and review and forecast. Um, pretty regularly. And then the second half, we're going to break down a couple of things. We'll dive into like, into, you know, into Chicago marathon, obviously is next week. A lot of people will run St. George as well. And it's just marathon season for a lot of people. So we'll talk yeah. about some, some of your strategies that are, can, can, can kind of hit a lot of people generally, obviously you want to be specific with possible with, with yeah. your athletes, but some general principles. And then we can also talk about the recent Boston marathon kind of reclassifying the times, the qualifying times and the 452 um, kind of like bubble gap that they put between the yeah. qualifying if and you the people who will be uh, running. If you can even call it that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll exactly. get into that. Yeah, we'll get into that, <laughs> which, which, which will be fun too. So, all right. So before we do that, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess since the last time we spoke, I had my, my, my 5K that I'd been targeting for a while. And as you know, it didn't go great. So basically what happened was for people who aren't sure, I ran 610 first mile, right? 612 first mile. Yeah. And then 634 and then 650. And then going into the race, I'd kind of been training as if I'd be around 620 pace roughly. Yeah. You you never, you know, things are going to shake out, but around there. So it was definitely a tough experience after the fact for me, because I was disappointed, but then Four days later, I got the best doctor's visit I've ever had because I was diagnosed with a double sinus infection, which is obviously miserable, but it was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders in terms of my running time because it was like 
oh, of course I failed in the last 10 minutes. Of I course, was dealing yeah. with an infection. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's interesting, right? Like I think some of the best runners in the world, and I, I'm so glad that there's podcasts now that there's, there's online blogging, um, to talk so these athletes can talk about their experiences because that, what I find is that the, the best athletes in the world uh, are able to say it's not me there there was something else affecting me uh, when in when when that is most often the truth uh, you know we had so many athletes who DNF'd Boston uh, because of the, the weather conditions and so in terms of on the pro side um, you had this experience of not realizing that you were sick or as sick as you were. We just thought it was a little head cold. It wasn't a big deal, but clearly a a major sinus infection where you had to go on antibiotics. Clearly that was something that was affecting you. And and this happens to every athlete of every ability, but it's the, it's the, the, the recognition of being able to step back and say, Hey, this isn't who I am as an athlete. There was indeed an outside source that, affected me. And the reason I think that's so important for you to recognize in that moment was because all of your workouts were saying, yes, you can break 20. I mean, how many people said it on on one of your workouts where you ran three Oh fours in your 800 meter splits for your repeats. It was funny. I know I was getting people like, you're shooting way too low, man. You should go yeah. sub 19. And I'm like, yeah, all right. Like, <laughs> no, I, mean, I mean, I, I would love to, but I don't think that's necessarily in the cards tomorrow. Yeah, but, you, I, know. I, you know, I, I think and you said something where like you, you put these workouts together in your past, you put these workouts together, very similar workouts and you just didn't get it done. And everything in my mind as, as your coach is saying, well, you ran 2032 months before and, and you were in X fitness. You're very clearly in better fitness now. So why would we expect around the same time unless something bad happened and that right. something bad did happen. And it's funny because we were both less scratching our collective heads after the fact. So we're basically grasping at straws to come up with it, right? Like I'm sitting there like I literally downloaded three different mental toughness books within 24 <laughs> hours. Be like, obviously, it's literally all in my head and I need to figure it out. Literally, but I should say it was quite literally all yeah. in my head. It was in my sinuses. But it was – I was convinced of this. I was like, all right, it, it was obviously mental toughness and so on and so forth. And we started talking about that. Like did I have a block of some kind? Again, I did have a block. Just a whole different different kind of block. Yeah, um, and but- I, think, I think for the conditions of the day as well, um, you know, the plan of attack was around 620 that first mile. And, and you did. You did exactly what I asked you to do. That first half mile was 310. And you did go a little fast, but it shouldn't have affected you as much as it did if you were healthy. Um, you know, it's the same way that, uh, you know, somebody has a, a calf cramp or a hamstring cramp in a longer event. We, sometimes you just can't battle those things. Right, right. So, which leads us into what we had kind of decided beforehand. Was it beforehand or was it quickly thereafter? It was, Maybe. I think, the day after we spoke when, when I was in the airport. Because um, you ran that, that morning and I was in the airport coming home from, uh, from Laura Anderson, now Laura Galeazzo. Uh, her, her wedding. Uh, Heather and I were traveling back for that. And I think it was the next day we spoke. I, I had this idea. I want, I want to just throw you to the fire. Right, exactly. So, so tell the people what you mean by that, and, so, and remind me because I'm still weary of it. So, my my, <laughs> my main focus when when this happens, and and there's, in my mind, uh, an athlete is just for whatever reason didn't perform for what you know they they're not sick, they're not they're not 
un, uh, they're not injured. Uh, everything is fine. They just have, so, so to speak, a mental gap. I kind of want to just throw them into the fire and have them race again or do a really hard workout again so they can Sometimes you just need to, to see it. You just need to know that you can do it, whether it be race anxiety or whether it be uh, con- just how your body responded in the, in the conditions of the day. Uh, my, my coaching mind says, well, let's give this another shot and let's do this quickly because I know what your goals are down the road because we had talked about that. And I don't want to I don't want to delay the, the transition to the, the, the new ideas that we have for you. And I know what type of fitness you're in. So. I just want to throw you in as long as you're not hurt. Let's, let's go at it again. Let's go after it. And I I had a guy run the new Haven half marathon on on Labor Day. Uh, And, and our plan of attack was for him to run an hour and 42 minutes for his half marathon. Well, he absolutely blew up and he ran two hours and two minutes, 20 minutes slower. And, And he was he was going crazy uh, trying to figure out why his body was responding the way it did. Like coach, I'm so he actually apologized. I said, dude, you, you can't apologize for how your body physically reacts to heat and humidity. Like that's like, like apologizing to being allergic to peanuts. Like that's, you can't control that. And I said, more than likely once this weather breaks in this coming weekend, when you run your long run, you're probably going to run 14 miles or 15 miles faster than you did in New Haven when you were actually racing. And sure enough, he ran 14.5 miles in two hours and five minutes. Oh, my God. Right? It was dominated. It was, dominated right? this time. And he wasn't even trying. It was actually easy. And just this past weekend, he ran 16 miles at eight minutes and 20 seconds, and he was fine. So... And he's getting ready for the New York City Marathon. So very clearly, it was just a physical reaction. And, and yours, in my mind, what was this is either a race anxiety or a physical reaction to something. So let's just go after it. Right. Exactly. So now that we know exactly what happened, and we now know kind of what's on the, what's on the horizon. So I have, I have a half marathon on November 11th. So 11-11 will be my first half marathon I've trained for in a long time. The last one I did was actually a year and a half ago, but I got a staph infection four weeks before the race. So that was not ideal. Here's, training. here's what I think we should do for you from now on is just not have any goal events. So that way your body doesn't know. <laughs> and I'm just going to say, hey, dude, you're running a half marathon this weekend. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's pretty much, that's pretty much like the, uh, like how much, of, how much of an alert I give my wife. So right. that's, that, I think that would work just fine because I usually perfect. spring it on her too. So, it's perfect. Uh, so, <laughs> no, so I'm really excited to run a half. So I really only have run one half. I've only run two in my life. Yeah. I've done plenty of 10 mile races, I've run yeah. two halves. One was in a lead up to a marathon. Again, this is a long time ago. This was seven or eight years ago. And I trained through the half marathon, so I didn't taper literally at all. When I say I didn't yeah. taper, like I ran seven miles the day before. I mean, this yeah. was a literal no taper, and I ran out. I went out with no time goal. It was just to get used to racing so that I wouldn't go out too hard in my marathon, which was supposed to be five weeks later, um, which I didn't end up running. That's a completely different story. But I ended up running 132 on the button to my shock. I couldn't believe yeah. I ran in a seven minute pace. I just could not believe it. I remember yeah. halfway through the race, I didn't even bring a watch. And at, at, at the, at the six mile mark, I looked at the person next to me. I'm like, Hey, how fast are we going? And he's like, Oh, we're exactly 42. I'm like, Holy crap. I wow. had no idea. So that was, that felt great again. So that's the only real race I went into trained. So yeah. I don't have a lot of history, but 
I do have what I'm leaning on for the far future. So, so a lot of people are put out there like you should have goals and I'm all up for that, but I, I, I'm not going to be a slave to a timeline. So yeah, I would love to, and I think I'm capable of, if I dedicate myself to training, maybe again, I don't know how long this could be, maybe years or whatever to getting down to like someone who could be a sub three hour marathoner and someone who in the half marathon could be in the 120 range. So I think that that's possible. I know it's going to be, I take a lot of dedication. So I feel like this half marathon is again, in no way related to those goals, but I think that's kind of where I want to be at some point. And I want to kind of do the training that'll get there. And hopefully that will have positive effects on that half marathon. Yeah. In a couple months. So, so, okay. So what we started, uh, what, 12 minutes and 50 seconds ago, um, I sp- spoke to you about the, the hogs back half marathon. Well, right. That was it was very interesting because in 2013, that was actually the year anniversary. Uh, I want to say that was September 29th or September 30th. So roughly a year after I started running. And when I started running, it was October 1st of 2012 uh, when I started running as an adult. And I had this goal. I just woke up and said, you know what? I'm going to go out there today and run 13 miles. Um, And I ended up covering 13.1 over the course of four different runs. And I've been working in a gym and I had been, uh, uh, you know, running with a few clients, you know, three here and four there. And it ended up totaling 13.1 miles for my 31st birthday. And it total time with all the walking and, and breaks in between and the four separate runs was an hour and 45 minutes. And that wasn't continuous. It was four separate runs throughout the day. And I was spent. Uh, a year later, Hogsback, I ran 114, an hour and 14 oh. minutes. Oh my goodness. Right. With that crazy hill. <laughs> um, and it, it gave me like this, like, wow, like this is where I've come in the course of a year. Uh, and it gave me this vision that, wow, there, there really is something for me in this that I can accomplish X. Uh, and I gave everything I had for that half marathon. Um, less than two months later, it was the Philadelphia marathon. I ended, actually ended up going through the first half with a potty break at 114. So I had wow. even more to go, you know, where you are right now. The reason I bring that up right now, this is, this, this isn't going to be your be all end all. This is, this coming half marathon in November is just going to be where you're starting. It's just mm-hmm. going to be where you are. It's not the defining moment. It's a learning experience. It's taking, okay, wh- wh- what have I been doing for the last three, four five months? And how does that set me up for where I am at now? And how does this now set me up for the next four months, five months? And we'll just chip away. We just chip away at it. We just keep chipping away. You know, there's, uh, I was talking to one of my athletes this past weekend or, uh, two, uh, we, yeah, two weekends ago, I guess. Um, and you know, her, her marathon PR is three Oh nine and I'm going to set her up. And if, if all goes well, uh, I'm going to have her set up and, and go run a, a 255. If, if she feels good, if it's good weather and she, she feels like she's got the fresh legs for it. There's no prerequisite to, to seeing success. You don't have to, run 129 before you get to 127. You don't have to run 126 before you get to 122. We see it all the time. We see it every, I mean, Kellen Taylor, who I'm going to be talking with uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a few days, she dropped four minutes off her marathon PR. Her half marathon PR is only, and I say this not, not to say only, but her half marathon PR is only 110.59. Yet her marathon PR is 224.29. Whoa. Like her, her half marathon PR 
should not equate to a 224. You, there is no prerequisite to success. There you go. There you go. And you had told me, I think it was the second or third week of August. I remember I was driving up on a vacation. And I think I've told the story before how you were basically like, listen, if, if, if you are like 90% of like the male population, like you, there's nothing that should stop you from running a sub three hour marathon. If you put in the time and effort, you're like, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but physically speaking, there's nothing that should prohibit you from doing it. If you put in the work. Yeah. I mean, number one, you got to be healthy. You got to be fit. You got to be strong. You got to be trained. We had this guy, Matt Capoziello. He's been working with Coach Esther, and he ran a 3.59 in New York City Marathon in 2016. Uh, maybe 2017. Uh, no, no, 2016. And a year later, he ran CIM in two hours and 59 minutes. He literally took an hour off his time in a year. An hour. He trained. He worked his ass off for it. You know, he had, he had issues along the way. He had a, a strained calf here or there, a cramp here or there. But in 12 months, he literally went from 359 to 259. And he's no special snowflake. He is just like everybody else out there. If you're willing to put in the time and the work and you're willing to make a few sacrifices, I guess if you see them that way, there's, you should only see success. All right. So that's a great lead in to what I need to do to do that so we know what so in the yeah. past what i've been at again this is you know we're, we're doing us we have like a slow build plus kind of this is what i had kind of said like i was willing to do not willing to do but i guess we kind of like this was mostly because of things that i had said not because of what you had kind of predicted for me like hey this is what you should do but it was more like 40 ish miles a week yeah and less than an hour up to an hour long runs um when you got over there what are you eating I'm giving my dog a treat so he stops begging. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were eating. It sound, I got. I got to be honest with you. It sounded like you're opening up some potato chips. So just as I'm about to dive into the diet yeah, right? part, I'm like, this guy's about to eat potato chips on the phone. No, it, um, it's like a white chocolate covered bone. So he stops begging, um, so he doesn't whine and it doesn't go over the uh, the interview that we're doing. Oh, that's funny. All right. <laughs> so, um, so what I was saying was, uh, all right. So. I've been around 40-ish miles a week, and I really haven't been holding up my end of the bargain on the nutrition. My meals have been good, but I've, like, I just, like, I've been sometimes, and I know yeah. I, I got to, like, ease up on that. So, in the future, what do I need to do to do, like, what your man just did? Went from 359 to 259. How do I reach that level of improvement rate? Well, uh, and I, I don't want to speak for Matt specifically, because I don't know what he's eating at home. Of course. Uh, but... I will say that we talk about consistency with running all the time. You know, professionals, regular uh, athletes, beginners, oh, just be consistent. Well, that's such an arbitrary term. And I think if we can dial down what consistency actually means for you, I think that's going to help make or keep your focus uh, on a day-by-day basis. And I think consistency, number one, means eating on a schedule to the best of your ability. I think you should be eating every three to four hours. And I think you should start the, 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 that process either bef- right, right before or right after you run, depending on what time you actually get out the door for your run, right? I think that is important because that will help curb your binging, you know? Uh, and that, when I, I say binging, I'm not, I, I'm not saying that, you know, and, and I think you don't mean that you're sitting down there eating 12 donuts at one time and drinking six beers. I understand the concept of, you know, 
uh, of living a normal life. But if you feel that there are moments or uh, there are situations that you put yourself in, uh, in terms of, well, I'm going to eat this entire pizza versus just having two slices. I think maybe if we get you on a schedule, that will help curb that. It won't quote unquote solve it. And not that it needs solving, but if we can get you on a schedule, I think that, that's going to help curb it. I mm-hmm. think making sure that you're, you're uh, more or less on a, on a sleeping schedule by X per night, you're in bed. You know, I, you've got things you got to do. We all do. But by some time, 10 o'clock, 1030, you go to bed. And I think that yeah. will help. Yeah, I agree. I definitely have had like certain days for me, especially now that the training's amped up, like over the last two weeks, I've seen that like just one bad night creates like a domino effect. Yeah. Because it's hard to, you know, it's hard to make it up until you get to the weekend. Yeah. You know, so if you have a yep. bad night on a Tuesday sleep wise, like I'm not going to be able to make up those hours on a Wednesday or Thursday night. Yeah. I could like, I might be able to make it up like next Sunday. And, and here's so, the like, thing it too, definitely though, is that part. There's no makeup. You know, it's, that's the, we say that a lot, right? Oh, I'm going to have a cheat meal on a Friday. What does that mean? That, what what does that, what does that actually mean? Like, are are you depriving yourself so much that you, you need to eat like three pints of Ben and Jerry's? No, like just eat like a, like an athlete, you know, there's really good food out there, really tasty food. And if, as long as we can kind of understand how much you should be putting in your body and that you don't feel like you're starving yourself, I want you to eat six or seven times a day. I want you to feel great. And, I, and that's why I think putting you on a schedule and, or, or an idea of a schedule of every three to four hours can really help with that. Um, oh, but I was talking, I was talking about the sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Like- yeah. And I, and I think they, re- they relate to each other though. Oh, okay. absolutely. I because you. if, if you don't go to bed, you know, if you're staying up till 12, you're going to get hungry. You're going to go out and eat. Yeah. And it definitely affects willpower. The more tired you are. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're going to wake up not feeling good. And you might not make the, necessarily the best choice for you the next day anyway. Uh, it's it, how quickly those things go together. And one, one thing that we talked about is uh, for a little while, no alcohol. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not yeah. that you drink incessantly or whatever the word might be for that that's not it not it at all but there is a relationship with alcohol and and eating too much on the other end so all of a sudden you put away alcohol for what seven ten days just a little bit of it and how much weight did you lose in seven or ten days two pounds uh i think i'm thinking close to three and a half now right right and that was that was no time at all yeah right and that was just a little change it wasn't like we're, we're talking about your diet and, and how much carbs and proteins and fats. We could get into that down the road. But right now, it's just little things, little things that can help you feel better so you can accomplish the goals that you're looking for. So I think a schedule, I think uh, in terms of eating, I think uh, understanding a schedule of sleep, making sure that you're drinking water is, is he, it's huge. And then running. <laughs> I mean, really, uh, I, was talk- I was talking to a guy uh, this weekend who, who said he wanted to run under four hours and his last marathon was closer to five, but he, he had a lot of conditions with what he was willing to do. And those conditions pretty much were, I want to train how I've always trained before. And then I want to run under four hours. Well, and I, t- I told him flat out that that's unrealistic. That's, that's almost an impossible goal. You've got to change something. You've got to work harder or you've got to, you've got to do other things. You're not going to take an hour off your marathon by running two days a week. 
not unless you lost 80 pounds while you were in the process of doing it. It doesn't make sense. Right. Right. So, so for you, the consistency with your running needs to be in the long term. It's not, okay, I missed my miles this week. Who cares about one week? It's what does six months look like? The totality of your training. How does that affect the ultimate goal? And I've got, I had one athlete who missed the final nine days of his marathon training because his calf seized up on him and he was running the Lehigh Valley marathon. This guy, David Radcliffe, and it was his first marathon. He was freaking out. And I, and it it was like three or four days of, uh, what am I going to do? Should I just cancel? Should I pull out of the marathon? Like my goal was to qualify for Boston. What am I going to do with that? Or how am I going to get through this? I said, dude, just relax. Like just because you missed seven days doesn't mean that it negates all the work you've done for the last five months. that's That's a serious taper. Nine days off. It was nine days off and then jogging and then a mini workout and then the marathon. Well, he, and then I told him that I wanted him to negative split the marathon. He almost lost his mind with that. Uh, what he ended up doing was setting a, a almost near, near a 10 KPR or, or a 10 KPR, one of the two, really close to it uh, in his last 10K of the race. He ended up qualifying for Boston by four minutes and 29 seconds. So unfortunately, uh, he didn't make that, that window. But he missed nine days right before Holy the marathon. Cow. Right. Holy so cow. it's like, and I don't know if those nine days, if he ran those nine days, if he would have run any better, because the fact is the fitness was there. Right. Yeah, exactly. And what you had told me over the phone, over the, I think over a text message was that in order to, how you viewed me reaching those goals was slowly building up to 60, 70 miles a week. I think so. I think for you, uh, for the for the for the the physique that you're looking for, for the time that you're willing to spend uh, training to get. Now, I'm not saying in March that's where you're going to be, but I envision for you to accomplish those goals. Could you do it with less? Yeah, you 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 might be able to. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't want to take away from your your wife and your and your children. Uh, you know, because that time obviously is very important. This is really important time for you to be a dad always an important time, but especially when, since they're so young, but I think realistically, it makes sense that you're at least averaging 55 miles a week in your regular training. And then when we get to a marathon specific block or a half marathon specific block that you're running 65, 70 miles a week. I think that that makes, and I think you'll be at a physical ability to be able to do that. Like, I'm not asking you to do that at an hour and 40 minute half marathoner. I'm asking you to do that when you're a one hour and 22 minute half marathoner. Right, right. And also when you're at that level, the time it takes to run 50, exactly. 60 miles a week is less. Exactly. Right? So if you're like, hey, go run for an hour and you're me versus you're Kellen Taylor, you're right? running a lot longer in the hour if you're Kellen Taylor. Yeah, a lot more miles, absolutely. Uh, someone asked me a few weeks, uh, a few months back rather, uh, what I considered high mileage. And it's a really arbitrary thing to ask because high mileage for one person might be 45 miles a week if they're a 10 minute, 11 minute miler. And low mileage for me as an athlete is like 60 I feel like I'm not even running at 60 because I'm running at a, at a different pace. And honestly, some of my other coaches feel like 80 or 90 is low mileage for them. Normal or high mileage is 110, 130. Right. Like a 10 mile run is nothing. It's, it's not, yeah. It's like an hour, hour and five minutes. It's not that big of a deal. Right. So for you as, as an athlete, I think for you, 
we got to build fitness. We got to, we got to get your 5k faster and which we have, uh, you did a workout the other day where you spent half the time recovering and you ran 21 minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was which, nice. which proves the point, right. Of your actual ability. I think we got to work on your 10 K. We're going to do that for a little while. Obviously we have this half marathon. Um, and I think, I think towards the end of May and June, I think that's when we're probably going to set up uh, another half marathon focus, uh, another half marathon buildup. But I think we'll spend the most, most of the early part of, uh, of 2019, January, February, March, focusing on that 10K, that intermediate uh, distance for your half marathon goals. Got it. And I had heard someone, I forget who, who was it, who was, um, geez Louise. It was someone who was very well known in the running community, has serious running credentials. I think, I think it was an athlete and it was, um, you know, a high level Olympia, Olympic athlete. And they said something to the effect of like, listen, when you step on the line to run your half marathon and you're about to P- P- PR your half marathon, that's also PR 10 K shape too. Yeah. Like yeah. Th- 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 it's, it's literally not necessarily one of the same. It might not be vice versa. Like if you're about to PR your 10 K doesn't necessarily mean you'll PR your half marathon. Yeah. But if you're about to PR your half marathon, if you had just all of a sudden walked onto a 10 K instead, you would have PR that too. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I, uh, I felt that when I ran personally, when I ran San Diego this past March, um, and this course, it was flat. It had a, had a few hairpin turns in it, whatever. It was a little windy, whatever. But from 8.3 to, to roughly 10.3 was a two-mile hill that didn't stop. It literally went up 300, 350 feet. But the first 10K, I actually set a 10K PR in that race. And I, I still had another, half mar- or another, another 10K and then some to go. And I set a half marathon PR even with the hill. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, it, awesome. it was a lot of fun. It was great. You know, it, it made me think, man, what would I have run for a, for a 10 K that day? Like I certainly could have gone another five, eight seconds a mile faster. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Um, so that puts me, you know, wherever it does. Uh, but, it, but I, I believe that to be true. So I think for you, once we get your, your half marathon time this November, I think you're also going to find that your five mile, your Turkey trot events, you're probably going to PR in those events too. Yeah, so I normally do a 5K the first weekend in December here in Providence. It's a oh, very cool. similar course yeah. as the one I just ran. Um, so I, that's where my current PR is at. Um, it's it's very flat. It's well attended. It's nice. Um, so that would probably be that would be what four weeks, three three or four weeks three after weeks the half after. marathon. Yeah. So that might be a good fit. Yeah, and it all depends on how your body comes off in terms of yeah. feels after the half marathon if it doesn't feel great well then we can find something different to do yeah for um, sure so for sure and then when and then one more question before we dive into the marathon stuff yeah. um when do you normally for races like this decide what the race goals are in terms I of think, like <laughs> yeah i so i i i, I believe 100 that if all things are equal weather terrain all that uh, once we understand what's going to happen, races are incredibly predictable, you know? Uh, so we'll know what you're capable of doing by yeah. pro- pro- probably two weeks out. We'll say, okay, this is based off of what we know to be true. This is what's going to happen. Um, Vicki Dupner, one of my athletes who, uh, who's, who's running Indianapolis, she had a long run workout uh, scheduled and unintentionally – it ended up being that she was probably going to set a half marathon PR in her long run. And 
I did the paces. I wrote them out. And I said, you'll probably come within 10 seconds of this in, your, in the half marathon portion of this long run workout. And she ended up running uh, within 10 seconds because she just hit her splits. We knew exactly where she was going to be and how she was going to run it. All things being equal, we'll know exactly where you should be for your race. Got it. Sounds good. All right. So two big things coming up. So we have marathon seasons here. And one thing that you have been dead set on um, and on all the socials, specifically Instagram, and I know in your newsletter as well, you've been banging this drum for a while, is basically trying to brainwash your athletes out of the idea that banking time in the marathon is a good strategy. So first of all, tell people what banking time is and why this is not something that you advocate. In fact, very strongly so. Well, it, well let's, let's break it down to what the athlete's looking for first. If, and and th- most of our athletes aren't there for completion. Most of our athletes are looking to become the best version of themselves. So I classify that, regardless of ability, as performance. Uh, that's very different than completion. If you're trying to complete something, it doesn't really matter how you run it. Just go out there and do it. You know, uh, we, I, I've spoken to athletes in the past who've run marathons off of 11 miles a week. You don't need to have all the mileage in the world to complete something. But if you're looking to perform in something, how you pace a marathon or any race matters. It matters so much because if you try to bank time on a course, you're going to pay for it later. And even the best in the world, any time that they try to do it, they fail. They don't end up getting, getting that world record or, or course record or major marathon win. They just don't accomplish the task uh, unless it became a tactical race. Um, so most recently, the, the, the world record was, was set in the, uh, in the marathon with uh, Yule Kipchoge uh, in Berlin. And uh, there was all the rage about how he ran 439 per mile in his marathon. And that couldn't be further from the truth. He did not run 439 per mile. He ran 10K blocks that got faster and faster and faster and faster. In fact, the last 10K of his race was the fastest 10K in the race. And the last 1.2 miles was even faster than that. So if the world's greatest marathoner in history will go out there and negative split the marathon, why, why on earth would somebody trying to run three hours and 40 minutes, three hours and 15 minutes, four hours and 30 minutes, why would they try to bank time? And the, the most uh, common answer to that is why they would do that is because they're scared they're not going to be able to complete the task. They don't have the confidence to be able to hold back. Interesting. That's funny because I would have thought that you would have said the, the opposite, that they feel like they're willing to bank time because they actually think they can run faster than their goal. And by, by like putting themselves in that position, they're like, okay, I'm going to run faster the first half because at worst I'll be banking time at best. I'll be able to like ride this, like, you know, dream state of a race where I can just kind of like all of a sudden shoot way past my projection. Yeah, I no, I think it's the exact opposite. I think it's more rare to find somebody that is overconfident in that regard. I think more people bank time because, one, they just don't know what the heck they're doing uh, because they just aren't paying attention to what's really happening, the reality of how fast they're running. But more often than not, they do know what they're doing. They just they get scared and they go too fast. There you go. All right, so you, you're having a um, 
a shakeout in Chicago. Right? Yeah. Some of your athletes, you got a lot of people running. Um, obviously, it's one of the, the premier marathons here in the United States. So for people who are running that marathon specifically, is there anything about that course or that setup that you have knowledge of that, you, that you'd want to impart? Yes. So that course uh, specifically has 35 90-degree turns. And why that's important is because if you are looking to perform – that means more than likely you're going to run longer than 26.2 miles. You're going to be in a crowd of people and you're going to be running long ways around a corner. And very easily you could end up running 26.4 or 26.5 or 26.6 miles in your quote unquote marathon. So if you're looking to qualify for Boston, you need to make sure you understand that your say 330 time really needs to be over this, over the course of 26.5 or 26.4 miles, not 26.2 and run a plan that is specific to that pace. That's a great lead in James. You're such a pro <laughs> speaking of the Boston marathon. So to the heartbreak of a lot of people, unfortunately, um, you know, cause one of those things where, you know, the, the Boston marathon qualifier, not even that, but just running in the Boston Marathon is such a lifetime goal for a lot of people. They spend a lot of time, spend a lot of mental and physical and emotional energy on that. Uh, this year, like we mentioned before, you basically had to beat your qualifying time by four minutes and 52 seconds to actually run in the race uh, this past or this coming year. Yeah. So I guess first things first what was some of the counsel you provided to some of your athletes kind of knowing that, knowing that you never know what the, what the gap is going to be. And then kind of like, so the expectations of it and then what you tell people kind of like the, in the heartbreak after the fact. Well, I think one thing to, to, to remember is that we shouldn't dictate our success or failure by what the BAA says is their standard. Um, yes, I recognize that so many people want to run the Boston Marathon. But when I was talking to Heather about it uh, just the other day, it doesn't take away from somebody who, if they didn't qualify, or they, they qualified, but they missed it by, say, 45 seconds, but they also set a PR of nearly, nearly 20 minutes, it doesn't take away from their success. It doesn't take away from what they accomplished, right? So I think, I think, mainly what we should be focusing on is okay did you do your best did you give it everything you had um what what could you do better in the future to get that standard um and i the 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 fact of the matter is i believe that in in 2020 it's probably going to be over five minutes so many more people are 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 running faster than ever and and the likelihood is that we continue to see that trend unless every single race has terrible weather uh, like we had in Boston. But uh, what, what we're, what we're seeing is more people are training harder than ever. They're training, they're running more miles and, and they're accomplishing the goal. And, and I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. But if you didn't make it, it doesn't mean that, that uh, you were, you were a failure. And I think some people almost felt that way. And it's, it's unfortunate. Um, I had, I had two men individually that missed it by 18 and 22 seconds. One guy, dropped from his first marathon 329 down to 30301 like that's success man that's amazing success for sure no doubt about it and then you have that and then there, you also have 
the component where like especially if you like broadcast that you're finally going yeah kind of prematurely then again i'm not listen i have i'm not throwing shade at anybody who did that but then there's also that social element of like oh geez louise like i really put myself out there and now i'm not going so there's that there's that those feelings as well but you bring up a good point about how like hey man this could be even harder next year so just because they're moving the qualifying times five seconds it doesn't mean that if you break the new qualifying times that you're automatically there, in. Yeah. You're automatically in because just like anything, as soon as you make something more attra- not attractive, but the, the, the sooner you make something harder to reach, yeah. it almost, it almost creates a stronger gravitational force around it. Yeah. Where like now more people want to get at it. Yeah. So coach Esther said this about the Olympic trials in 2012, I believe. In 2012, the standard to qualify for the Olympic trials was two hours and 47 minutes. Um, and I think 53, if I'm remembering her tweet and her, her notes accurately, I, I believe 53 or 56 women qualified under two hours and 47 minutes, only 50 in the mid 50s. And now the standard is two hours and 45 minutes. It's faster. And, and actually, uh, in, in 2016, up until a month before the trials, the standard was two hours and 43 minutes and 147 women qualified for the Olympic trials wow. at a faster, at a faster rate. When we raise the standards, people will, people will come. They, they, they will get faster. I mean, in, in 2016, we had eight athletes in Boston. In 2017, we had 38. Last year, we had 65. This year, we're bringing over 150 or just about 150. People will get faster if they're trained properly. They will accomplish a task if they work hard for it. And I'm not just saying through us, through any service, through, through any mode, whether it be a, a book or a magazine, if, if they have the drive, if they're willing to do the work, they will get faster. The problem is that I think the standard, the standard is going to get even harder and harder and harder to qualify. They essentially dropped it by five minutes, but that's almost what you needed to get into this one. So they really didn't drop it at all. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what I was just about to say. That there's, those eight seconds. Yes, it's not going to. I mean, they might, they might matter to some people, but by and large, generally speaking, it doesn't make a whole lot of no. difference. And like you just, you just, like you just mentioned before that these times are not like the four minute mile here where like, if you have kind of like an, a, a typical body, if you put the time and effort in, you can do it. See, I wouldn't even say a typical body. I would just say, I, I know, yeah. I, I, know this, I know that's proper. That's not the proper phrasing. I was kind of like searching for the word yeah, there. If you but, just work, I mean, regardless of yeah. where you're at, you know, I, I think if you just work hard and, and, and put in the training, you'll get there. Uh, and I think a lot of people you know, kind of look bad on that or look down on that as maybe as a source of, of um, maybe uh, I, I know I can't think of the phrase, but, but they just don't feel that they could accomplish the task. So why even bother? That's, that's kind of where I was before talking to you about this. And we've talked about it a couple of times. Like I was like, there's no way I can break a sub three hour marathon. Like if you had told me that I would have been like, you know, I would have compared it to some other ludicrous thing. You know, yeah. it wasn't even the realm of possibility. Yeah. Like it wasn't even something that I viewed as worth even talking about. So it's so funny that we're, that we're here now. Um, and I'm trying to shoot for even faster than that. Yeah. But um, yeah, so th- there's so, this, um, everybody knows who Ali Kiefer is. If you don't look her up, she's an amazing accomplished athlete. She was fifth in New York city this past year. Um, and, and, you know, 
unfortunately, there are some people out there, uh, even respected, and I, I even don't even like using that word, but there are some quote-unquote respected uh, professionals in the field that have, have said, oh, this individual is too big, too heavy to, to, to be a contender. Uh, she needs to lose weight, blah, blah, blah. And it's garbage. She goes out there and runs fifth in New York City. She just barely missed winning a, uh, uh, a U.S. championship. Maybe barely missed is not the right term, but she finished second at the New Haven 20K against Sarah Hall, one of America's finest marathoners, one of the best roadrunners in the country in history. And, and here she is. She's probably 20 pounds heavier. She's just strong and she's got grit and she's willing to fight. You know, uh, she's a, a prime example of that. You can be who you want to be. I mean, gosh, we are our newest coach, Patrick Cutter. He's 5'10", 180 pounds. He looks like a linebacker and he, he can run a marathon. And I think it's probably not where he's able to run one, but his best so far is two hours and 35 minutes. He's 180 pounds. Yeah, at 5'10", which is – so that, that's a lot of muscle on a frame like he that. He looks like a Greek god. It's unreal. <laughs> it's true. It's true. If anyone doesn't know Patrick Cutter, I did interview him for the pod last January, and that was certainly a popular episode because of the same, the same idea of like, hey, you have an atypical runner's body, but it obviously is working for you because you're kicking some serious butt. He just doesn't give up, and I think that is really what it comes down to. Are you the type of person that is going to be willing to give up through adversity or whatever it might be? Or are you the type of person that's going to say, screw the adversity, I'm going for it? There you go. I love it. All right, we're going to leave off there. This has been so much fun, James. As, as usual, 45 minutes, it feels like 10. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I really appreciate that. Uh, and hopefully, you know, Nibs is our – is it Nibs? Nub Nub. Nub Nub, that's it. Yeah. Your little dog over there. Not so little. He's young, but he's, not little. You know, he's a small Vigla. He should have been well, – I should say should have. Most, most visuals, I guess, are between 55 and 70 pounds. I've seen one at, that was 86 and kind of looked portly. But he's only like 42 or 43 pounds. He's a small one. Yeah, he reminds me of like a little young deer seeing him yeah. around. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't quite have the coordination. Well, he's spoiled because I'm holding a sheep's horn while he's biting it. Oh, is that, is that what we hear? Oh, yeah, the crunching. Oh, my God, that's funny. Whatever, All right. uh, whatever I got to do. <laughs> well, tell Heather I said hi. Thank you so much for doing this, and I'll talk again, and we'll talk again soon. Absolutely, dude. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye.